Yo, 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 listen to the Nico Suave podcast. Back with another podcast, another Monday, another podcast. Today I'm joined by something, somebody extra special. Um, I'm going to go ahead and list his uh, accolades real quick. The 2017 NFL draft, draftee, uh, six round, 206 pick. 206, yep. I looked that up. Former Virginia Tech uh, fullback, I guess. Running yeah, fullback back. running back. Yep. Fullback running back. Um, Former Hanover High School legend, Sam Rogers. What's up? Appreciate it, Nick. Glad to be on, man. Doing big things with the podcast. I love it, man. I'm still working on the intros. I'm not good with the whole little broadcast dude doing the accolades, but yeah. I hear you. I hear um, you. So, yeah, um, I, you have some more accolades now. Um, uh, what would you, trainer at Sports Reality, Easy Day uh, founder? Yeah, so I run programs called Easy Day, uh, and within Easy Day, there's that actual Easy Day class, 5 a.m., and then we also have what you actually were a part of, Next Level, which is in the afternoon, training guys that want to go play college football, uh, which is that, and then, uh, yeah, coaching over at Hanover, doing those two things right now. So are they both um, Next Level and Easy Day? They're both in the Easy Day Corporation? Correct. So I have a, uh, a business called Easy Day LLC, and I'm actually an employee for Sports Reality, but they let me run Easy Day out of here, mm-hmm. right? So um, basically whatever I bring in, I get a certain percentage of, Sports Reality gets a certain percentage of, and I just run my programs through Sports Reality. So um, I guess um, getting to getting into the business a little bit, the – Easy day. Do you feel like sports reality was really that platform for it? Like this is the this is the perfect avenue for your corporation, right? Like absolutely, this absolutely. Is sports reality has been great to me. Um, like I said, I actually work for sports reality. It's not something where um, there's anything where I'm like a contract worker. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a worker employee for sports reality, and okay. they've been great to me. There's obviously there's no better facility around here. You know, they got two turf fields, an awesome weight room. Everything that I want to do as a coach, um, as a sports guy, I can do it right through here. So um, let's break down the easy day and uh, next level thing. What okay. are the details um, for both of those programs? Cool, yeah. So, like, the reason why we call it easy day, I think I told you this before when you first started training with me, but the reason why I call it easy day is because when I was in high school, I had a strength coach in high school. His name was Jake Just. Mm-hmm. Jake Just Jake, uh, Jake Just is a Western PA guy. If you know anything about Western PA guys, they're tough and they know it, right? Yeah. Those, those kind of people. So, like, I'd come up to Jake. I'd be like, Coach Jake, what's the workout today? He'd be like, dude, don't worry about it. Easy day. He, every, every time, easy day. And if he said that, I knew I was about to get run right into the ground. Yeah. It was about to be miserable, right? So that's why we call it easy day. And the whole idea is, like, I believe that being physically disciplined leads to discipline in all their areas of your life. So we have a 5 a.m. class, and people freak out about 5 a.m. They're like, yeah. that's early. I don't want to get up, right? But we have a 5 a.m. class. It's high-intensity interval training. Monday, Wednesday, Friday are a little bit harder than Tuesday, Thursday. Um, but that being said – describing the intensity of it like that being said there's people of all different fitness levels in this class we have a guy that's around 400 pounds in there that's doing a great job uh working as hard as he can there's also an ex-college wrestler so there's guys that like no matter what your fitness level is we can adapt the workout for you to get a uh, good workout in and the mission of easy day is to build a community of people that go beyond themselves to encourage others so when you walk in here you feel like it's that team atmosphere you feel like you're a part of something bigger right yeah and then uh next level Man, I just like you said, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to play at Virginia Tech, start there for four years, then be able to play uh, in the NFL with the Rams and bounce around there a little bit. Um, I got to be around some elite-level coaching, mm-hmm. right, whether that's the weight room, whether that's position work. And I want to see other guys be able to chase their dreams too. So yeah. I want to help guys like you that are that want to take that next step in their football career. So um, – it's kind of different. Easy Day is more that group adult training. Next Level is more like that football-specific lifting, running. But, man, they're both passions of mine, and they're both geared towards helping people take the next step in their life. Yeah. And I can uh, speak towards the, you know, the um, Next Level part of it because, you know, I did that for a couple months um, since March. Um, yeah, it's like I, I definitely haven't had training like that before. Um, I've been in – Division one, Division two, and Division three programs in college. Um, you know, I've seen a whole bunch of different ways to lift and yeah. different, um, you know, different schemes and whatnot. Um, push, pull, all that. Um, really super heavy lifting, uh, Olympic lifting, all that, and then more light, um, 
kind of like uh i don't know uh explosive stuff yeah like yeah well i would say your your um your lifts are definitely more explosive and all around like encompassing all of that right um so I feel like um, for anybody who's listening that would want to, you know, get started with Next Level or is looking for a trainer, um, I'll say a couple of things. I'll say one, the pricing is definitely like at a perfect price point. Like these trainers out here, I think that's a big I don't know if you look um, if you read too deep into like the since you're in the training world now, right. I don't know if you read into what's going on. But, man, you're paying 50 to 75 dollars per workout yeah, with these guys. It's and tough a lot of times they're not giving you stuff that's actually applicable to what you're going to do on the field. Right. And then with you, it's a great price point and no, you're not like a wide receiver guru or a quarterback guru, but like you train for football and you right. train, like I'm ready to play right. once I got done with this. Um, right. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, um, you, you, and you played what fullback, you played running back in high school, you played other things too. Yeah. So you have the background and you also played at, the highest level, right. which a lot of guys can't say. Um, so off the rip, I already trusted you with that. Yeah. Just you playing at the highest level. I mean, you've seen Aaron Donald work out. You've seen Jared Goff work out. So, um, and you, you've pulled from those trainers that you've worked with. I think that's the biggest um, selling point with your program. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, and like you said, like um, just because I played fullback uh, in college and the NFL, I was always a guy that wanted to learn about every position. Yeah. So, like, in college, I was always sitting in with the quarterback meetings. Like, a quarterback coach got annoyed with me because I always knock on the door, like, hey, can I come sit in with you guys? We're yeah. done with the running back meeting. Because I want to learn about it so that I can teach. And just I feel like I become a better fullback. I become a better player when I know everything else going on around me so I know my role in it yeah. better. And it's helped me be a better coach. Um, so, like you said, I'm not the quarterback guru or the receiver guru. But I guarantee you, I can help you take the next step, whatever your position is. You yeah, one hundred percent. That's something I did in college too. Um, granted, I wasn't at the level you were at, but <laughs> I definitely um, at Norfolk State. You know, we would have meetings, um, and I'd be in the quarterback meeting, and then the meeting's over. And I'm like, well, damn, I have nothing else to do, so I right. go knock on um, you know, Darrell Roberts' door. I was like, yeah, can I come sit in here and yeah. watch some wide receiver stuff? And that definitely helps you be able to play, you know, um, know your role within the scheme and just know, you know, what everybody's got going on, what everybody's doing. Um, so shifting this a little bit, the business side of it, um, you have a degree in what, nutrition? Yeah, it's human nutrition, food and exercise, HNFV at Virginia Tech. So with the business side of this thing, um, with running a corporation, that's what you call it? Um, uh, it's a... Yeah, LLC is what yeah. it is, limited liability, yep. So with running that, um, are you kind of learning things as you go? Like, um, wh what's your guidance for the business side of it? Well, honestly, uh, my brother's been huge on it. So my brother is Ben Rogers. He does actually, he actually coaches business leaders uh, through a coaching company called The Bottom Line. Um, and I was telling you a little bit about that before. He kind of mm -hmm. does a podcast with it. But um, He's helped me a ton just organizationally. Um, and then basically what I'm doing is a sales job, right? I got to sell my product to yeah. other people. So a lot of it's just developing relationships, which is part of the mission of what I want to do anyway. Yeah. Right. So every day what I do is or the day before, I'll always schedule out my next day. Mm -hmm. Right. So I always want to have some coaching over at Hanover. I need to have a Hanover block where I'm working on Hanover stuff. I need to have a sales and marketing block where I'm either posting stuff or I'm calling people, writing letters, anything that falls into sales and marketing, right? Then there's a business development block. And the business development, that's when I'm coming up with new workouts, researching what's new in, in the area, studying different things. So that's the business development side of it. So as long as I'm writing down my to-do list in those each each of those categories, right, um, then, uh, then I know I can stay on track. And for example, we're doing this podcast right now at 10 a.m. Mm -hmm. There's my sales and marketing block, right? So like this is something that falls into me. It's like, oh, this is something where the broadcast the name, so it always kind of fits in and keeps me on schedule. Yeah. So I think planning my day the, the night before is huge for me because it always keeps me locked in on the next goal. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I definitely forgot to mention that you're a head coach at uh, Handover. So you threw <laughs> that in there. He's the head coach at Handover, too. This guy does everything. Um <laughs> So um, with the business side of it, are you like, are you, do you have to kind of get entrenched in social media a little bit? Like for me, I know I have to do things on social media that I don't want to do. Like I don't right. want to be on social media all the time trying to push this, but I kind of have to because 
otherwise nobody's going to listen to it. Do you kind of have to go through social media and do things? I know you're probably not a big social media guy, but yeah, I guess you kind of have to. Yeah, so um, I actually was off social media or off Instagram at least for probably a year and a half, two years, something like that. I think it was whenever I was released from the bills. I just I focused on it too much. Yeah. In social media, you know that's Everyone talks about it. You get in such a comparison world. Yeah. Like where do I stack up against the next person, right? So it, it was just bad for me mentally and all that stuff. So I got off of it. But then, like you said, when you get back in the business side of things, it's like, well, everyone uses it. So you got to yeah. get back on it. The blessing for me, though, Nick, I cannot figure out my password to the Sam Rogers 45 Instagram account. I have no idea how to get back in. So all I have is the easy day training account. So like to me, it's not really like a personal uh, Instagram account. It's yeah. just like my work one. So yeah. like it's I'm able to separate in my head a little bit more. So if you've messaged me on my Sam Rogers 45, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I have not been on it. So that's my little well, caveat there. You do. <laughs> I think you have the blessing that other people don't. You have a blue check on that account. So you can definitely hit up Instagram and just get that back. I'm yeah, sure. I don't want to. <laughs> but um, so uh, getting back to the business side of it, um, you I, I don't think we really broke it down. You have. So with your easy day, you have online and you right. have um, in-person training. So that's, you know, two different avenues right there for people who um you know, don't really want to come in at 5 a.m., right? right? And then you have the next level. And then don't you have the nutrition coming yes. or? No, so we have that right now. So like you just said, I have Easy Day, right? Easy Day Online. And I have Easy Day Eats, mm -hmm. which is that nutrition program. And the nutrition side of it, again, going back to like, I'm not a quarterback guru, I'm not a wide receiver guru. But what I do know a lot about is accountability. Yeah. And when, you, when I was studying for my CSCS, this is kind of how the nutrition started. When I was studying for it, they said the biggest indicator of someone gains or loses weight towards their goal is if they stick to a plan. It's not necessarily going keto. It's not necessarily doing intermittent fasting. It's not all these other fad diets, right? Yeah. It's just someone sticks to a plan. So with the easy day eats, that's where I come in. I'm there to be your accountability partner. So what we do, we set up a meeting once a month. I talk to you about your goals, and then I just hold you to them. We have different things in place where I just hold you to your goals. And then you see people right and left losing weight towards their goal, right? Yeah. And we have about 10, 10 to 12 people in the easy day eats right now. And there's not one of them that hasn't made progress from where they started. So um, that's the easy day eats. And then there's the easy day next level. Then something I'm really excited about that I'm doing is easy day build, right? And it, again, this all falls under the umbrella of easy day. Easy day build, B-U-I-L-D, is building unity, integrity, love, and devotion. That's for like teams or businesses to come together and work on team building stuff. Right. So we'll come together and we'll just talk about different foundational values that can help uh, your team become more unified and accomplish a goal together. So those are all the things that kind of come under easy day. Um, but yeah, like like you said earlier, you have the easy day in person. But if you can't make it in person for whatever reason, you have the online and it's still with that same mission to build community. Yeah. So you have an accountability partner once a month. We're going to have what's called a family meeting mm -hmm. where we do a Zoom meeting together with the online community. And we talk again about foundational values, shifting perspective back to what's important. So all those things fall under the umbrella of the easy day. That's uh, that's definitely like I don't even know the right word for it. It's like. It's, I guess it's just crazy that you have like all these different avenues to, to reach all these different kinds of people. It's like, did you specifically target out like to do that or is it just kind of something like you ran into? Because it seems like it was strategic. Yeah. So what I was encouraged to do by my brother, and I think you could probably relate to this thinking about like an offense, like if you're an offense coordinator you have to have your identity play yeah. and then everything else builds off of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe you're an inside zone team. You get really good at inside zone. Now that you can run inside zone, let's do zone read. Yeah. Now that you can do that, let's do a play action off of it. So the, everything kind of comes off of that centerpiece. And that centerpiece for me was that easy day 5 a.m. class. It's like, all right, what's the mission of what I want to do? All right. The mission is to build a community of people that go beyond themselves to encourage others. So if that's the mission, what else could fit into that mission? All right. Well, the online thing, and that was actually born out of the whole COVID quarantine thing, yeah. right? So the online thing uh, came out of that. And then the build, I was like, man, I, w I love working with teams. That's why I love working at Hanover, because I get to work with a team, right? So the build came off of that. And the eats was a natural progression out of just fitness training. People were like, do you do nutrition stuff? Yeah. And I was like, well, I can hold you accountable if you don't want to be lazy. And I was like, yeah, perfect. Let's do it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was whatever that identity was, and then it was just forming those little things that are branches off of it. 
that uh that's definitely a big thing i took one nutrition class and um you hear i heard that in the nutrition class it's like everybody's looking for the next fad and the next little thing that's going to just magically lose weight and that's just not how it goes like you have to stick to a plan um is that probably the that's the thing that most people struggle with is just sticking to it exactly so you'll see a lot of people for example maybe they'll do keto or maybe they'll do intermittent fasting and a lot of people they'll lose weight initially mm-hmm. And then they gain it right back because they get off of it, right? Mm -hmm. So what I want to encourage people to do is like whether they want to do keto or intermittent fasting doesn't really matter to me. It's like let's think about how to live healthier, Mm -hmm. right? So I give them advice and we talk about a plan. And once we get that plan, like you said, man, I just hold them to it. Got you. Um, With the build part, the the build, um, uh, what, what would you call it? We it's called easy day build is all it is. The group that group. Yeah. Um. Would you can you compare that to? Because I'm just trying to compare it to something. Would could you compare it to? What was that? Um. The Christian group that um would come through around to high school teams, and I even had it at my college team. It was like FFA. FCA. Yes, that Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Is yeah. that kind of can that can you relate it to that a little bit? Like, is that kind of similar? Uh, it's similar, and the fact that um it's a group working towards the same goal, right? And it's an outside group coming in to a group that's already established to enhance it, right? Yeah, so that's the, way, that's the way that it's similar. Yeah. Um, the way that it might be different, um, even though I am a believer, it's not, a, it's not necessarily an overtly Christian thing, right? But okay. uh, there's biblical principles that are set inside of build, right? So like when we talk about uh, that first letter B, building, when we talk about building, we talk about first building a foundation. Mm-hmm. I talk about if you want to go high, you got to dig deep first. So yeah. then we talk about core values. And I'm able to share my faith, maybe not overtly, but uh, through the principles that we lay out in the Build Academy. So there's definitely similarities, but there, it's different ministries, if you know what I mean. I figured the the what D is for devotion. Yeah. I figured that would be tied into the um, Christianity part of it. But yeah. getting to that, um, the uh Christian religion for you is definitely a big thing. Um, you, I think you definitely showed that um, to the public. Um, is that like, are you, I guess we just, you know, navigate, navigate yeah. through this. Um, are you a every day, every Sunday kind of a church guy or are you, uh, cause I know there's different avenues through Christianity. I've always been like, some people are taught that um, if you go to church every day, you are, you know what I'm saying? You're, claim to be very devoted right. but it's not it doesn't really work that way um correct how how do you see that like are you yeah so i think so ephesians 2 8 right it says that we are saved by grace through faith it's not of works so that no one can boast all right so if you think that man if i go to church every sunday then i'm a christian yeah it's like well no that's not it and even taken beyond am i a christian do i follow this religion I don't even like to even talk about that as much. It's like, hey, I follow Jesus. Yeah. There's a banner over my life. It's like, I'm a Jesus follower. Mm-hmm. And wherever he leads me, that's where I want to go. And this might make, you know, hair stand up on some people, but there could be some Sundays where he asks you not to go to that building specifically because mm-hmm. it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship, right? So it's not about works. It's only through grace. Now, the beautiful thing about meeting together on Sundays is you're meeting together with other imperfect people that are joining hands and worshiping together. Yeah. Now, I don't believe that it has to be Sunday. It has to be Wednesday. But that's the way we've kind of adapted as a culture. So yeah. that being said, I am an every Sunday guy just because that's where my community is. Mm-hmm. It's not something where I feel like I need to do that to obtain God's favor. God's favor is already there because of the work he displayed on the cross, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely answered the question. Um, For me, I, we've had these talks off mic. Um, for me, I'm kind of still like uh, trying to find the greater truth. Right. Um. I heard this guy, definitely, I don't remember his name. Um, he played in the league a little bit, and he was on a podcast with uh, Brandon Marshall. Okay. Um, he said something that I guess kind of explains how I feel um, towards the religion. It's like, um, I guess if you, it's probably, uh, to put it this way, sounds kind of harsh, but yeah. if you are um, a Christian and you are just simply entrenched in the Bible 100% and that's all you know and you don't look for another greater truth, then you're not trying to find the greater truth. You've already found it. And I guess you can go both sides with that. Right. It's like, for me, I'm trying to find the greater truth. Um, but for you, I mean, if you know the Bible is what has saved you, then that is your greater truth. And you know what I'm saying? You would yeah, dive so, 
So what I'd say is the Bible didn't save me. Jesus did. Well, yes. You know what I mean? But, yeah, yeah. but the reason I say that is because there, there's people out there that believe the Bible saved me. Well, no, there, there was a period of time after Jesus resurrected where the Bible, as we know it today, was not formed. Yeah. Right. And they're still followers of Jesus. Right. You look at um, you look at even the Old Testament. They were following God before the Ten Commandments were even given. Like if you look at Abraham and the covenant that was made with him, he was following God. So Paul even talks about the New Testament. Um, it was faith first. It was the belief first in him. And then these things happened after it as far as the law, as far as all that stuff, yeah. right? The, the belief preceded it. So then going back to what we're saying before, the Bible didn't save me. Jesus has, right? Like I think everything hinges off of Jesus, mm -hmm. everything, right? So I think the most important anybody listening, the most important thing that anybody listening to this could ever answer is who was Jesus? Because historians across different belief systems, right? They believe that there was a man named Jesus, whether you're atheist, Muslim, whatever, right? They believe that there's a man named Jesus and they believe that he had a following, mm -hmm. right? He claimed to be God, right? And then he was killed. Now you could say that he didn't rise from the dead. You could say all this other stuff, but I think if you actually dive into it and if, if you believe he was who he said he was, then that confirms the accuracy of scripture, right? And if, yeah. if that confirms it, then Jesus is first, scripture came after it. It's like, all right, well, I can trust this because I trust him. I can trust the book because I trust him. I trust that that happened. So that's why it's like, all right, if someone told you two plus two is four and it's four, right? Yeah. We know it's four. Well, I'm not going to explore five and six. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But, but I can, I can, I'm going to go explore it and I want to see it. So I want to see what other people are seeing. I'm going to go look at it. But then I come back. It's like, well, it's still four. That, yeah, that answers the, um, finding the greater truth por right. portion of it. Um, I guess for me, um, I don't know if we've exactly talked about this specifically, but, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I grew up in a, uh, black church. Well, not grew up. Um, I guess let's dive into it a little bit. Yeah. I started going to church when I was about 13, 14. Yeah. Um, Right around the time, well, right after my cousin died, my grandpa died, and my grandma died in the same year. Um, that was definitely a hard year. My parents were like, yeah, we need to go to church. And that's, I guess we used church as an avenue to try to, I don't know, we were going through a lot of stuff mentally and in the family. And, you know, we just needed that help. Um, so we got saved. We got baptized. We started going to church uh, regularly. Um, I was going to a all-black church predominantly. Um, and I don't know. It's... I don't know if um, I don't know the dynamics of your church or the demographic, but I know in black churches, it's a big thing where the pastor is always driving the newest bins mm. and the pastor is um, he's not the most trustworthy, um, not specifically to my pastor. Okay. Um, but and then and then you're you're um, in a black church and um, I'm learning about the roots of, um, you know, uh, the, I guess the the time and the um, demographic of when yeah. Jesus lived, right. and then I'm learning about a white Jesus in church. Correct. It's kind of I don't. It just throws you off, and you have questions. Um, I guess specifically for me, being a history major, and my history teachers are teaching me certain things from those time periods, right. and it kind of conflicts. Um, I don't. I guess that's my issue. With for sure, thing. man. Like, hundred percent. So. <laughs> When one of my friends tells me Jesus was white, I'm like, man, he was a Middle Eastern guy. Yeah. Like, he sh he certainly didn't look like me. He wasn't pale and had freckles and got sunburn all the time, I don't think. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this idea of this blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, that's not what I believe either, yeah. right? Um, and then kind of what you were speaking to before, we're hinting at it, right? The hypocrisy of the church. Like you say... You say one thing, but maybe you're behaving another way. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of what you're alluding to, like with the pastors and stuff. I don't think we can judge the credibility of who Jesus is based off of false interpretations of him. Right. Or yeah. or bad examples of him. So, for example, um, if you're on a great football team, right, awesome football team. OK. Then the worst guy on the team goes out and. 
he starts acting like an idiot, not acting like the culture of the team that you guys have set, yeah. then someone said, oh, well, Nick's team's like that. It's like, well, no, that's not necessarily the case. Now, even worse, what if the quarterback goes out and is acting like a fool? Because that's kind of what you're talking about with the pastors. That still doesn't speak necessarily to the head coach or the leader of the organization if they have one guy go wrong, right? So yeah. um, with Jesus, it's like, yeah, there are certainly terrible examples of what it means to follow Jesus, right? You see, you see this prosperity gospel preached, right? Mm-hmm. If you follow Jesus, things get better for you. Yeah. Man. You look at scripture, how wrong could that be? Yeah. You see Paul, his he was stoning Christians, right? He was against the cause. Then Jesus appears to him and he goes on to write letter like two thirds of the New Testament, right? Yeah. He's this guy that was killing Christians and then he's used. When he was killing Christians on the surface, his life was better. He was the one that was the hunter. And then when he became a Christian, he was the hunted, right? People were actively trying to seek him and kill him. You look at Peter and, and John and these guys that believed in the resurrection of Jesus. Their lives got worse. But the crazy thing about it is these guys preached peace and love in the middle of the storm. Mm-hmm. Right? They preached when someone was hurting them, you know, whipping them, whatever it was. They preached love that person. And to me, the only way you could say that is if you knew for a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Because I don't know about you, man, but I probably would not be saying that off of some lie, right? If I truly didn't believe that he rose from the dead, I'd probably be like, ah, I'm out. I'm about to hit back. But if I did believe that he rose from the dead, it's like, all right, I love you because he loved me when I was in this situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that definitely answers it. Um, And I alluded to this um I think in the last podcast I did, um, I know I do have an issue with um, seeing, you know, seeing the the hypocrisy that goes on in the in the church, and then um, immediately saying, "Oh, well, I can't really believe in it because." And I, well, I can't say that because I I still do believe in Jesus, and I still do believe in a God. I don't know what He looks like, right? Or I don't, you know, I I haven't put um, I haven't put a face on it, and I haven't put, you know, I don't really use the Bible to go off of my beliefs. Um, even though I was saved and, and, and baptized and all that, um, I don't know. I guess when I got older, I started to think for myself. Yeah. Um, a lot of people say that and they just like go off their rocker, but like, I mean, think for myself as in like, I don't know, like I just view the pastor as like, he's, he's a man, just like I'm a man, yeah. you know? And like, I don't, a lot of people put him on a pedestal and I don't, I don't know if that's a bad thing. Um, but I do believe in a God. I do. I still call him Jesus. Right. But I don't. Um, I haven't got to the point where I'm, you know, in the church all the time and reading the Bible and, and reciting things like that. Because I don't I the hypocrisy. It just really I guess it makes it hard. Like it's hard to see that all the time. And yeah, then dude. I'm with you, man. Like, sorry, did you have more? You No, because I was I was about to say, like. I think y'all like devoted Christians have an issue with that too. Like um, there's been a bunch of times where I've seen, you know, people in the church get, you know, kind of shunned away because they're like, they're dainting, they're, they're, they're uh, kind of dampening what the, you know, yeah. what everybody stands for. They're like, if you, <laughs> the reason why I would encourage you to open it back up is because Jesus got pissed at the same things. Yeah. He got so mad at the same things. Like you look at the people that, he was actually angry with it mm-hmm. was the people that thought they were good yeah right it was these people these groups called pharisees right and they believed they had it all together they believe they were like they were the morality police walking around just blowing the whistle if someone did something wrong meanwhile inside they were broken they were messed up they were having affairs they were doing all this crazy stuff right it's that story that you've probably heard all the time it's that woman that was caught in adultery yeah. right and the pharisees drag her out in public and by law according to that time It was law that they had to stone her to death. So they're trying to trap Jesus because Jesus knows the law, right? He is a Jew, like he is the savior, right? So they're trying to trap him. They say, Jesus, what do you say? And they're trying to get him to say, oh, don't stone her. It's not a big of a deal. Mm -hmm. That's not what he says. He kneels down with her. So look at the posture of Jesus. He's kneeling with the sinner. He's down in the dirt with the sinner. How often do you see believers standing up, pointing the finger at the sinner instead of down the dirt, down the mess with them? Right. So that's the first thing about Jesus. He's down there with them. And then he says, Hey, you without sin, cast the first stone. 
And then it says, starting with the oldest, because they knew for sure they were with, they were not without sin. Yeah. Down to the youngest, they just kept dropping stones because they couldn't do it. And Jesus says, do they condemn you? And she said, no. He said, well, then neither do I. And I think that's the thing that people are forgetting about this relationship with Jesus, man. Like he says, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what have we seen in the church? Condemnation, condemnation, yeah. condemnation. He says, there's no more, con- it's gone. So to me, when it's, that's why I talk, go back to relationship, not religion. I fell in love with God. Fell in love with how much he loved me. Because, Nick, we both know we are messed up. Like, yeah. it doesn't take long for us to figure out as humans, like, I got some stuff that's wrong. I've lied before. I've cheated. I've done stuff that's not right. Yeah. Right? But Jesus still looks at me and says, no, I love him. I want him. I'm kneeling down with him. So in that breath, it's like, holy cow, I got to do everything to follow you the same way Peter, Paul, and all these guys did. So I think when you're met with the love of God, not religion, but when you're met with the love of Jesus that's confirmed through scripture, it's like, oh, man, like, I'm going to give everything to follow him. I got you. So that's kind of how it is. Uh, yeah, I knew I knew he's going to have the perfect answer for that question, too, because um, we've kind of touched on that a little bit before. Um, yeah, it. I don't know. It's hard to when you put it that way, it's kind of hard to keep, you know, going astray because um, like at the end of the day, I am, you know, I'm still entrenched in um, Christian beliefs, I guess. Right. Um, I guess you would call it. Um, and I, I, yeah, it's definitely something I battle with and I fight with because. You know, I do I do need something. I do need to come to a, you know, a conclusion, I guess. Um, not that it would be set in stone or anything, but um, always questioning and second guessing things is not, you know, the way to go when you're, you know, trying to find um, your belief system, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that definitely um, opens the door. So getting to this like um we've talked about this too the um the bible and the versions of the bible right um can you name a couple off the top old testament new testament oh you mean the different translations yeah different translations so you have the king james version the new king james version the english standard version the new internet like the uh new international version like there's all these different um translations yeah Mm. so and so I, I brought it up to you that um, my thing as being a history guy is um, churches and I was speaking towards black churches using the King James Version, knowing who he was and still living by that testament right. or that, that uh, translation. I mean, um, I, I don't think I'm crazy to think that would be an issue, but you did bring up the point like, hey, there is other translations of the Bible that you can you know, um, get entrenched with instead of, you know, looking through that lens all the time. Right. Um, so can you speak to that? And, um, so the old Testament, I guess it is, um, I get not to, I don't know how to word it. Is there a version of the Bible that would be, that has been written or translated by someone of my skin color? or someone of a darker skin color. I guess the Old Testament would be the... Yeah, so I don't know exactly. Like, there's... Man, there's probably hundreds of different translations. Really? Right, like, of the Bible. Um, So to know exactly who or what race uh, did it, I'm sure there's black guys that have... uh, that translate. I didn't even know there was that many translations. Yeah, so that I thought that's one of the things you're going to bring up um, because... A lot of people will say, well, since there's so many translations, how do you know that there's actually a real truth, yeah. right? Because if there's so many different versions, so that part kind of gets blown out of proportion, yeah. right? So what they're all doing, they're going back to what are called manuscripts, and manuscripts are copies of original documents, right? So that's how we judge the um, historical accuracy um, and the, the manuscripts were written in Hebrew, I'm guessing. Yeah. So in the Old Testament, it's primarily Hebrew and the New Testament is primarily primarily Greek when you think about the original language. So we're trying to look up. We're trying to find the closest um, manuscript to the original document. So, for example, if there is the original document and then there's a manuscript and there's a manuscript that's within 50 years of that original document. Mm. And then there's one that's 300 years within the original document. It's like, all right, well, the one within 50 years is probably the more accurate one. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's the one test for it is like, all right, how early can we date this manuscript? Then the next, um, the next test for it is how many manuscripts, right? If there's 10 manuscripts that are saying the similar thing, 50 years within that time frame, mm-hmm. um, and then there's another one that's a hundred years and there's only one of them. It's like, all right, well, we'll trust these 10 that are within 50 years. Yeah. Does that make sense? So there's a two, two tests is how early and then, um, how many. So when you look at the new Testament alone, this is where it gets crazy. When you talk about how early it is, I think, um, scholars will debate on which one, uh, how early it actually was, but it's within anywhere from like 60 to a hundred years where they found the earliest manuscript. Now the next, um, the next most prevalent document, the earliest they found one was something like 500 or 600 years. Mm -hmm. So already the new Testament is showing some crazy historical accuracy. And then you look at the amount, the wealth of manuscripts that have for the new Testament, early documents, early writings, early copies of the original, it way outnumbers even, um, what is it? The, uh, what every I can't remember the exact document name, but it's how we got Roman history. So we were taught we're taught Roman history in school, right? Yeah. The wealth of evidence for the New Testament far outweighs the wealth wealth of evidence for Roman history. But we teach Roman history like it's like it's we don't question it at all. But suddenly we question this, right? So we take these original documents, right? And then if I gave you the original document and you started. Um, writing that down, copying it down. Mm -hmm. And then you pass me back that original document. And I started writing that down. That's how the Bible was, uh, was passed on. It wasn't like a game of telephone where I tell you, then you tell him then he tells someone else and the message gets uh, messed up. It's like, we're all listening to the same voicemail and we write down what we hear. Does that make sense? Yeah, Cause that's definitely what, um, I have said like my critique of it and what other people, how other people critique it. Um, so getting back to the manuscripts, the the manu the Bible itself is written off of the manuscripts, is what you're saying? Correct. Because when I look at like the uh, and the, the Bible is a manuscript because it's a copy. Yes, of, you know what I mean? Like yes. it's manuscripts a manuscript. Yep. Um, the King James version was written in the early 1600s, but so we shouldn't go off of that date. We should go off of the manuscripts that it was written off of. Is what you're saying? Correct. So I'm not super well versed in this but looking at the king james version itself there have been earlier manuscripts that they've found since the king james version has been written that are more accurate than the king james version so i i could be wrong on these dates i'm just i'm gonna throw them out there just so we can get a visual right so like the king james version let's say they were using a manuscript that was within 400 years of the original document Mm -hmm. we've now found ones that were within 100 years so we're using the one now that is more accurate. So when, when we're still reading the King James Version, it's like, all right, well, we still have, we have one now that's more accurate than that, all right? So, but all that being said, the, what is theologically true, like you're still going to find, in the King James Version, man, you're still going to find that we're sinners, Jesus died for us, yeah. he rose again. So when we talk about the discrepancies between translations, we're talking about 1%. Yeah. We're not talking about major theological doctrine. Yeah. So the idea that like, oh, I can't believe it because there's tons of different translations. It actually speaks more to the accuracy of it and the authenticity of it. And it speaks to the discredibility of it. Because if you did something and we had a crowd of people watching you, mm-hmm. I would have a different perspective than the person behind you. Yeah. Than this person over here. Right. So yeah. like we're getting a fuller picture, I believe, with a different translation. So. What I do when I'm reading it, I'm like, all right, I hear, I see this in the NIV. Let me look up this in the ESV. These are two different translations that I'm referring to. The NIV is one translation. ESV is another one. And let's try to get a fuller picture of what that original document was trying to communicate with us. That's what. That's kind of how you study scripture. Yeah, I think we. Um, that's definitely blown out of proportion. That um, it is, you know, a uh, that the different different versions are just so uh, completely different from each other. So it, it can't be real because people are saying different things. Um, I think the, I, I guess I'll speak for myself. I think the thing with me is, you know, I'm, I'm the history guy. So the dynamic of having a King James version Bible in the black church, it just, it just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, it makes but sense. at the end of the day, um, yeah, it's not, it's not like it's that version of the Bible. It's just completely tainted with, you Correct. know, BS. It's just, I guess just that dynamic of 
you know, just the, looking at the whole picture of what is going on with that. Right. And there's some things that like, man, they're with the King James version. We don't speak in old English anymore. Yeah. Right. Like we don't speak that way. We don't speak in the thighs and the thou, all that stuff. Yeah. And Jesus didn't speak in that either. He was speaking in either Greek, Aramaic, like he was speaking in these other languages. So the idea like that we, that Jesus was like, thou shalt not kill. It's like, he didn't say that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, the reason why I'll read like the NIV of the ESV is because it's more in my language. I understand that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Right. And for anyone that's reading and, or listening that wants to like know uh, translations that they should maybe dive into, like look up the ESV, NIV. These are the ones that I use. And then there's also this thing called the message translation that kind of helps you get a fuller picture of what uh, the, the what they're trying to communicate in common language. Um, so those are kind of some tools that you can use, not saying that one is greater than the other or anything like that, but there's a tools that you can use to kind of get a fuller picture of it. Got you. Um, yeah, definitely talking with you about religion is definitely, um, a lot easier than, you know, going to some of these, uh, uh, like I wouldn't really go to my pastor or my deacons at my church to talk about it. Cause, um, they have such a narrow view of things. I feel like, um, cause I've, I've done it before. Um, speaking out of, you know, experience, it's like, this is the only answer and this is what you're supposed to believe. And if you go away from this thing, you're just, you know what I'm saying? We've lost you. You're astray. And like, we got to get the demon out of you kind of thing. Right. Um, with you, you kind of break it down and you kind of, you know, you, you, uh, you, you see both sides of it and you're like, yes, but you know, you're not heavily entrenched in the, I don't know you're not entrenched in trying to bash somebody over the head for not, you know, right. not completely seeing, like seeing the full picture as you do. Right. Um, I think that's a lot. It's definitely a lot easier talking to you about that and getting a clear picture for myself. I appreciate that, man. Forward. Yeah. Like it's all, it all goes with the posture of Jesus. What I believe, like going back to that picture of Jesus kneeling down with the person that felt accused. Right. So my posture has always got to be kneeling with the person that's hurting or even questioning or struggling. It can never be standing up, casting the stone, because that's not what Jesus was doing, yeah. right? Even, man, you look at Jesus on the way to the cross, and this is just something with how tense the world is right now. Like, mm-hmm. everyone feels the tensity, whether it's the racial stuff going on, whether it's COVID. There's polarizing views everywhere. And for everyone, you see Jesus on the way to the cross, and his heart is still for the people that are accusing him, which is crazy. Yeah. He says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like that kind of love. I don't know if I would have that, but I know he's loved me that way. So now I got to love others that way. So my posture has always got to be with the people that are hurting, confused, whatever. That's what it's got to be in. Yeah, 100%. Um, I guess uh, switching, uh, going to take a sharp left turn yeah, let's here. Do it. Let's, um, let's talk about your football career. So Heck yeah. Um, in high school, you know, you were both sides of the ball type of player, quarterback, uh, running back. You played some wide receiver too. Yeah. Some tight end. Yep. So, so you were definitely a, uh, like I, that's where I knew you from. Cause you know, you were the man back then, like Appreciate in Hanover it. County, at Hanover County. Um, I have this one memory of when my cousin played you, uh, I think I was a freshman, you were probably a senior or something like that. Um, or maybe I was in eighth grade and you, uh, you hit, you hit my cousin, like, like, I don't know why you did that man like that, but (laughs) he got up and he definitely had a concussion because he walked to your side of the ball and was like almost at your huddle. And then finally realized, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm messed up right now. But anyway, that just speaks to the type of player you are. So high school, you know, you didn't really get recruited the way you should have been for some reason. Um, can you speak to why that might be like, why? Yeah, um, to be honest with you, I don't know if I know why, but people would tell me that I was too big of a risk, right? Because like you said, I played, I started quarterback my freshman, sophomore, junior year, ended up dislocating my elbow midway through my junior year and just started playing everywhere. Uh, Because originally they were like, we don't want to get them hurt. Then like once I got hurt, the coach was like, screw it, we're just playing everywhere. (laughs) So I played quarterback, running back, linebacker, uh, tight end, some receiver, like I played all over the place. Um, and people would tell me I was too big of a risk. Like, we don't know where we'd put you. And I'm like, well, I've played everywhere. Like, yeah. put me wherever you want. Yeah. Um, and, so, and, I, and I'm, I'm not super fast. Like, I'm not going to blow you away with my speed. 
Um, it's not like I have crazy numbers. I'm 5'10", you know, I was 205. So I get it. They don't know where they, they, they were hesitant. Um, I got a uh, player of the year for the Metro, offensive player of the year for the Metro and Metro area. And after that, UVA asked me to be a preferred walk-on, so did Virginia Tech. So awards do matter, right? yeah. <laughs> especially those. Like, they see those uh, preferred walk-ons at both places. And um, I also had a scholarship offer from Bucknell and St. Francis. And I always just wanted to play big-time football. Yeah. My brother was a guy that could have walked on at a 1AA school, ended up not doing it. My dad, even talking to him, he had an opportunity to walk on at a 1AA school didn't do it. He, they both played Division three, and they were studs. Don't get me wrong. Like my brother yeah. was an All American football player at Hampton Sydney, four time All ODAC. My dad like set the record for tackles at Randolph Macon, like all this stuff. So in my mind, it's like, all right, my family's already done that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like they've already played the Division three and done really well. I'm gonna take a shot. Yeah. Like so, I was like, whatever is my highest opportunity, I'm gonna take a shot because I believe that I can do it. So I knew I was gonna either go to Virginia or Virginia Tech. Those are the two preferred walk on situations. Um, you know, I thought Richmond or William Mary or JMU would have offered me. They didn't. You know, they told me that I wasn't on their list, all that stuff. So ended up enjoying tech more. Uh, and obviously everything ended up working out. So were you a tech guy before that? Because I know a lot of kids no, around here. A lot of kids around here grew up tech guys, like, from the start. Okay, so I I grew up watching UVA because my mom went to UVA. Mm. Wow, that's crazy. But I will say this. Because I don't have love for UVA. You know that. Um, I will say this. When I was deciding between Virginia and Virginia Tech, I went to Virginia Tech because their goals are higher than UVA's. And I was like, man, I need to go to this place where their goals are higher. They were talking about ACC championship playing in big-time games, whereas the other school was talking about maybe going to a bowl, right, wow. maybe going to a bowl. So I was like, you know what? Going on the theme, let's take our shot. You know what I mean? Did means? they have London then? Uh, yeah, London was awesome. I won't say anything bad about London. London was incredible. He actually, he would have been the reason that I went there. He was a great recruiter. Um, but then uh, you can't beat Coach Beamer, though. You know yeah. what I mean? Coach Beamer was awesome. My brother was actually in a tragic event where he was in a house fire with a bunch of his friends. Coach Beamer, before he even knew me, called my brother because he saw it in the paper and made sure that he was doing okay. Him and his friend were doing all right. Like, that spoke to the kind of man he was. It wasn't to get any press clippings off of it. It wasn't yeah. to show everyone. He just did it. So I was like, man, I want to go play for this kind of person. So I did. Obviously, we had the coaching change my senior year, but um, that was uh, it was awesome. I got to play for Coach Beamer and Coach Fuente, two awesome coaches. So when you show up on campus at Virginia Tech, you're a walk-on. Um, what was kind of your mindset, um, or and what did they tell you um, coming in as a walk-on and, you know, Obviously, that's not the end goal to just be a walk-on your whole life. Yeah, so Coach Shane Beamer was the one that recruited me, Frank Beamer's son. Um, and he told me from the jump, he said, like, look, you're going to have a chance to play early. Like, yeah. there's an open fullback competition. And the offensive coordinator kind of hinted at similar things. But I came in July 5th, 2013, my first day on campus, and we're in Vauder Hall, bringing back memories now, right? And there's no AC. And I just remember being in there and – um, like you're looking around, you're like, oh, these are some stud athletes around me. Like, yeah. there's Bucky Hodges right there. There's Kendall Fuller right there. There's Brandon Faison right there. There's Chuck Clark who's now with the Ravens. You know, there's Andrew Matua. You have guys up and down. You could just list. It's like yeah. these are stud players. Trey Edmonds is on campus. It's like holy cow. So you have these players, and it's like, quickly you got to get in the mode of like, you know what? I'm here for a reason. Mm -hmm. I got to go do my job. Now that being said, all those people around me that I just mentioned. Man, they didn't think I was any good either. They looked at me they're like, you're 5'10", white and slow. Like, you're not <laughs> going to do anything. So there, there's got to be the chip on your shoulder. There's got to be such confidence in what you're doing. And the confidence come from, came from the way that I prepared. So every day after workouts, whenever I'd uh, have time, I'd be up in the meeting rooms just flipping through the playbook. Some people would leave their playbooks in there, and we didn't get our playbook yet. So I'll go in there, take their playbook, start flipping through it, flipping through it, flipping through it. And I would learn every position. And then I remember this one situation, Logan Thomas, um, we were doing like a little uh, seven on seven thing. And I jumped in because no one was jumping. I was like, oh, I'll play this position. I was just like, I'll play A. And like, yeah. uh, I jumped in there and Logan was like, hey, hey, Rook, you're on the other side. I said, no, I'm right here. People kind of looked at him like he's correcting you. <laughs> I probably should have done that because Logan's a man. But um, I ended up being right. And it kind of gets you like that credibility. It's like, okay. 
this guy's here. He he's he's here to make a statement now. Let's see let's see if he can play. And then obviously uh ended up playing pretty well during camp. Obviously some ups and downs as always, but played well during camp, ended up getting the starting spot and then earned a scholarship all in that uh all in that first couple of months. So Yeah, um me and you were both walk ons. Um clearly a different dynamic. Um, you know, my my uh career was a little different, but um so how early did you get that that scholarship? Um, so I had to we had to pay for first semester. My parents, I was fortunate enough where my parents uh, were able to pay for school, but I had to we had to pay for the first semester because they told me I think August twenty something that I was going to be on scholarship. So I got there July fifth. They told me like end of August that I'd be on scholarship, and by that time the uh, the semester had already started. Yeah. So we roll with that, but. They told me, they told me from the beginning, which I appreciate, and they were honest. They said, if you start, you'll be on scholarship. So paid yeah. for one semester, got on scholarship, and then my first game, man, I went from playing Patrick Henry first uh, game of the season at Hanover mm-hmm. to playing Alabama in the freaking Georgia Dome, and that is a different feel. I'll I remember that. that game, too. I think uh, my former coach had a kick return for a touchdown in that game. Oh, yeah, that's fun. That's yeah. Good. But um, he um, – so for me – I, I brought that up because when I was going into camp, um, I never told you this. When I was going into camp um, for Norfolk State, um, nothing was promised. It was just like we got a spot for you. I was like, fine, that's you know, that's uh, that's all I need. Um, so I was going into camp thinking like, hey, like Sam Rogers definitely he he got an offer like quick as hell. Like once yeah. he stepped on campus, so if they're gonna give me the shot to play, I'm gonna go ahead and take my opportunity and I'm gonna run with it and. Hopefully, I'll get that scholarship just like he did. Now, you know, things are a little different. It didn't work out that way. But right. um, you were definitely somebody that I looked up to. And I didn't even know you at this point. Yeah. I just know who you were. And I was like, because you were definitely in the news all the time and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, I could definitely walk on at this school and, and do the same exact thing. Um, yeah. And to say, like, it was not, and you told me before not to be humble, but I'm telling you the truth right now. So yeah. you're, you're going to tell me, like, stop being bashful. But, like, it's not a thing like where it was all me. Like there are things that have to line up for like, I came into a situation where the starter from the previous year had a shoulder injury. Like his name was Riley Byro and he was a good fullback and mm-hmm. they trusted him. He had a shoulder injury and he got declared like ineligible to play because of his shoulder, all that stuff. So then I was in a competition with two guys who hadn't proved, hadn't proven themselves yet. Mm-hmm. So I got put in a situation where it truly was a competition Whereas probably going to Norfolk State, there was probably a guy that was in there that was a starter or had been a starter or that they either scholarshiped or whatever. I was in a competition against two walk-ons. So, Uh like, it wasn't like where – like, I got into a very fortunate situation. Now, you take take advantage of the opportunity, you run with it, right? But um, it wasn't a situation where, you know, I beat out, you know, freaking – Todd Gurley that's not the situation it didn't happen yeah Um, so it worked out for me timing wise too my situation was definitely a lot different um I came into a it was an open quarterback competition but it was uh three scholarship guys who they already you know knew were going to be the guys and then they just threw me in there and then it was definitely a humbling experience um I go to practice and you know I'm fresh out of high school and like I'm in practice and I'm not even getting reps in practice I'm like damn like you're not even gonna give me a chance. Like, I, I, I guess that you know it wakes you up in college. Like, yeah, like you're not guaranteed. Like in high school, you practice. And, you know what I'm saying? Everybody gets to play damn near. And then college, first day of practice, I didn't even touch the football. I'm like, ah, well, damn. So, but I, I say that you know I definitely looked at that and um, used it as fuel. Didn't yeah. beat myself up about it. Um, I understood I had to do other things to you know get myself noticed and get some you know what I'm saying some film out there. Um, I'll say this too, um, first couple of days of practice, um, I'm playing quarterback and it's an open competition and it was like a big thing in the news in Norfolk or whatever. They were covering the team, who was going to be the starter. Um, and you know, they're writing articles on the quarterback competition and they're listing all the guys and I'm in the pictures and then they're just not, not, this, not listing my name. Ooh. I'm like, damn, I don't, I don't even exist. So I was like, all right, well, I got to yeah. try something else. Um, Luckily, I got he uh, coach coach uh, coach Scott at Norfolk State put me in a position to you know get get some uh, 
get some time out there and improve myself. I ended, ended up having to switch positions because that was just, you know, the best move to get on the uh, get on the field. And I'm blessed enough to have the ability to, to yep. play both. Um, he even I even tried uh, uh, holding for, for the place kid yeah. <laughs> to get on the bus. He was like, you know, like I, you got a good skill set. I want you on the bus, you know. Um, but, you know, the quarterback thing ain't really going to work out. So. Like, what can you do? And well, I'll play wide receiver. I'll try to hold. He's like, yeah, do that. And then we'll, you know what I'm saying? Yep. And I proved myself that way. So, um, I yeah, I, I, I speak to this. Um, I think I've spoken to this before. You know, you can use that. As, you can be, beat yourself up about that stuff or you can use it as fuel. And I feel like in my life, I've definitely used that as fuel. And that's really pushed me through, you know, everything. Um, even though my career or whatever hasn't turned out the way I necessarily want it to, um, but it's still, you know, I still use that as fuel. Yeah, and here's a, here's the truth, man. Like, no matter who you are, it probably doesn't end up the way you want it to unless you end up in the Hall of Fame winning Super Bowls. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, my career didn't end the way I wanted it to. Yeah. Right? But you learn things through that process, through those crappy times of watching other people play. Like, I got drafted to the Rams, and they didn't even use a fullback, man. Like, they got yeah. drafted to a team as a fullback who didn't have a fullback in their game plan. So I'm sitting there watching and trying to, like, all right, what can I do? And there's so much pressure. You felt this probably early on, on every rep to be perfect yeah. because you only get two. Yeah, You get two of practice, two or three, whatever it may be. There's so much pressure on it. So it's like, all right. And that goes back even full circle what we are talking about, like, with my faith. It's like, all right, if I know who I am, if I know that I'm a child of God first – I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of Jesus. I'm led by the spirit. Like if I know that's who I am, then like these things can't shake me. Football doesn't define me. The NFL doesn't define me. And that got tested and that got tested and that got tested because it was like, get your identity in the NFL. Like that was that, yeah. that stupid little voice. Get your identity in me. It's like, no, no, no. My identity is solely in the finished work of Jesus. So through that, I could have peace even when I got cut. Like, it was sad. It sucked. I was crying. It wasn't fun. I had to drive back cross country. But yeah. in it, it's like, if I didn't do that, man, I wouldn't have this platform to talk to you, right? I wouldn't have people over my house every Tuesday night, what we call house church, like 30-some kids in our house. We wouldn't be able to have these things. And it's like, when God does something, like not allow you to play at Norfolk State or get me cut from the rims, like when he allows that stuff to happen, He's thinking of something way better. He's yeah. thinking of something way more fulfilling. And it's like that's going back to trusting the goodness of what he has for us. So now I relate to that a ton, man. It's just trusting that, like, this is working for my good. This is not against me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so with you with you playing um, at the Rams or uh, well, with the Rams, um, you so they released you during camp, but then they brought you back the next day, correct? Yeah, the way it works, whenever you get released, you get put on what's called waivers. Yeah. And you got to clear those. I think it's 24 hours. So once you get released, you have 24 hours for any other team to pick you up. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get picked up, they can sign you back to practice squad. Mm -hmm. Each team gets 53 on the active roster, and then they get an additional 10 on practice squad. So I was a part of that additional 10 uh, after camp, and they brought me to practice squad. So I was there for the entire 2017 season. That That's kind of crazy because, you know, they didn't use a fullback. So – what was the real reason in bringing you back? You had to have something in you that they really liked yeah, for this, so even put you on the practice squad. I don't know if it was – honestly, here's all the things that went through my head. I don't know if it was, man, they saw my skill set. They thought they could use me somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was maybe they wanted to use a fullback later in the year. They just want to have me on reserve. Yeah. I don't know if it was we drafted this guy. We don't want to look like idiots. Like, I don't know if that was it either. Yeah. Uh, all those three were kind of bouncing in my head. But I will say this, during the year, obviously, you're on scout team. You're a practice squad guy, right? So I got to play running back, in which I did a lot of that in college too, in which I think I have a skill set that is more than just a ISO fullback. Yeah. So I got to do that, and I was making some plays. I was doing pretty well. I remember the GM came up to me, Les Snead, and he said, you being able to show your running back skills is probably the best thing that ever happened to you. I was like, all right, great. GM's noticing. He, he makes decisions. Yeah. After the year, they signed me to what's called a futures contract. They said, hey, look, we like what you did at running back. We're going to give you a chance uh, to show what you can do there, like show that you can play, mm -hmm. uh, show that you could be like that fourth guy, maybe a special teams guy, all that stuff. Then right before OTAs when I had that opportunity to show it, uh, I got released. They brought in someone else. So that's just the hints of the business of the NFL, man. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, do you feel like uh – 
well, I kind of know the answer to this question. You're going to say you're definitely good enough to play at that level, but just the numbers got you at the Yeah, end a lot of, of it's, a lot, it sounds like a excuse cop-out thing, but a lot of it's timing, yeah. right? Like It really is, though. Um, so, for example, if you know the name C.J. Ham, he's now with the Vikings. He got drafted, or he maybe he's an undrafted guy. Anyway, around the sixth round, you're talking to your agent on draft day, and he was like, hey, you're probably either going to be an undrafted free agent or uh, the Vikings might pick you up in the seventh. I've been talking with them. They might pick you up in the seventh. Mm-hmm. So I, he said, I think the Vikings are going to get you. I was like, all right, cool, Minnesota, let's go. Then the Rams called. And, by the way, the Rams called before the draft happened, and the running back coach called me. Uh, his name's Skip Pete. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, Sam, I want to let you know we're not going to use a fullback, but I was watching your tape. I like what you do, man. <laughs> I was like, man, I appreciate that. Out of all like the dishonesty that happens, I appreciate you being honest. It's like, we're not going to draft you. We don't, we're not going to use a fullback, but I like what you do, man. I was like, appreciate it. Thanks for the call. It was like one of the most like refreshing conversations. Then they call me in the sixth round. They're like, we're going to draft you. You're going to be blocking for Ty Gurley. I was like, guess change of heart. Guess they want to use a fullback. Yeah. But then in the seventh, either undrafted free agent or seventh round, the Vikings get CJ Ham mm-hmm. and they use a fullback <laughs> and he stayed on the roster, right? So it's like, Man, maybe if the Rams wouldn't have drafted me, maybe I'd be with the Vikings. Maybe I would be still playing. All this stuff, the maybes, the what ifs go yeah. in your head. But you cannot get into that because imagining those maybes and those what ifs is imagining a situation where God's not on the throne and God's not in control. It's like, all right, it may not have been necessarily what I wanted at the time, but he's in charge of my life. You know what I mean? He's the one that sits on the throne. He's the one guiding me. So he brought me there for a reason. I got some friendships that I'll always have from being out with the Rams. And and like I said, the the thing that was meant to break me as far as not being able to play and getting cut is now my platform to share about Jesus. Yeah. Like so that's the cool thing. Like the things that are meant to break people by the enemy, God says, No, now you're gonna stand on that and now you're gonna share with who I am because of this which is the coolest thing about it. So I don't regret it, but yeah, man, I could still play. You kidding me? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I definitely have those what ifs and stuff like that. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, leaving Norfolk state. I still think about that to this day. I just beat myself up about it. Cause I kind of ran, it would seem that I ran away from competition and that's yeah. not the kind of guy I am. Um, but I just kind of knew the deal with the whole thing. Um, yeah. It, that's crazy that cause Sean McVay, uh, uh, head coach for the the Los Angeles Rams, he's such an innovative guy. I would he think is. that he would, you know, what I'm saying, find a way to if if you had the skill set, which you did, he would find a way to use that in yeah. some way. But hey, he's big. So the Rams run more eleven personnel than any any team. Yeah, uh, which is one running back, one tight end, three receivers, and actually one of my great friends out there, Cooper Cup was that third receiver at the time. So I was like, Coop, man, can you stop balling out? So maybe they'll use a fullback. <laughs> yeah. But um, he was that guy. And they ran 11 and 12 personnel. They ran no 21. They just didn't run 21. They ran it maybe a couple times. I remember the Jacksonville week, they were running it with uh, another guy. But anyway, it was, uh, yeah, just situation. You know? So going into the NFL, um, you were still a Redskins fan at that time? Was it well Washington football team Washington fan football team. at that time? Uh were you, was that kind of a weird experience for you, like looking at that team um, on the sideline, kind of? Yeah, we. I think I told you about this. Yeah. We played them uh, week two, um, and when you're on practice squad, you dress out for the home games. You're on the sidelines, mm-hmm. and the Redskins are coming to LA. And like, I see Kirk Cousins, I see Chris Thompson, I see these guys, and I'm like, these guys are uh, cheered <laughs> on for a while, right? So, um, I saw Chris Thompson break one, and down the far sideline, and I was like immediately like in me like jumped and almost started yeah. to cheer but I had to like calm myself down I was like I hope <laughs> no one saw that because it was ingrained in me to cheer for uh the Washington football team growing up right and then um then when that happens it it's just different it was it was a cool feeling though man getting to see all that yeah it, um get well on draft night or you know just heading into the draft is that like a team that you really like I guess that was that a dream of yours to go there Yes, like that cool. and no. The dream was to play in the NFL, yeah, get drafted. You know care. what I mean? Um, yeah, it, it would be sweet, but yeah, that, <laughs> at the time it was pretty dysfunctional too. You yeah, know? well, yeah, for the past couple of years, well, yeah, yeah. But um, this too. So you played with some big time guys. You played with Jared Goff, Aaron Donald, uh, Todd Gurley, Cooper Cup. Are there were there guys that you or other guys in the league? 
um, maybe during like the preseason when you were really on the field that you saw and you were like, wow, like I'm really on the field with this guy or kind of got starstruck or are you not that kind of guy? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm on the same field as so-and-so. Like my last preseason game was at Lambeau Field. Wow. Like, so I got to be on Lambeau Field. I yeah. had two catches on Lambeau Field. That's something that no one can take away from me, right? Yeah. Like I saw, I know it's preseason. All people haters like it's preseason. Shut up! I'm like yeah, it was, but you didn't do it. Um, <laughs> but Aaron Rodgers is sitting over there, and obviously he wasn't playing. It was a fourth preseason game, but yeah. he's still dressed out. And I'm like, I'm on the same field as Aaron Rodgers. So that was cool. I mean, we practiced against the Chargers, so got to see Philip Rivers over there. Uh, I mean, you get to see some big time. Watching Russell Wilson play up close, they played at LA. Mm-hmm. Love Russell Wilson, 804 yeah. guy. See him. Like I said, I mean, there's something, I mean, even like being in the same running back room as Todd Gurley at first, you're like, oh my gosh, it's Todd Gurley. Then you realize, like, oh, he's just a normal guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, no, it was, it was awesome. It was fun being around those guys. So at first, I think you get a little starstruck. I think uh, Jared Goff reached out to me on Twitter and I was like, oh my gosh, Jared Goff <laughs> reached out to me. But like after, after that, it's just like, oh, these are normal dudes. Yeah. And, would, Everyone's got their faults. You know? I would assume you have to get that out of your system real quick just in order to compete because you have to view right. yourself at the same level as them to be able to compete with them yeah. um, or at the higher level. Sure. Um, yeah, that's uh, – um, I, I guess I kind of alluded to this before. Like, yeah, I don't know if you if you know this, but, like, kids from this area, they really look up to you. Like, like you did it. Um, there's not many, very many people that – I know there's a few other, like um, – Alec, uh, Alec Everly or whatever, yeah. he played at Florida State. I don't know if he made it to the league, but even just playing at Florida State, that's a big deal. Um, there's another guy, didn't he go to handover, offensive lineman that went to yeah, the Yeah, Josh Wells. He played quarterback at Hanover, actually, but he's still with the Bucks now. Yeah, so, I mean, that's crazy. And I didn't even know about those guys um, until recently, but you were the guy that, you know, we kind of – kids really look up to you. Like, you you really did it. Um, whether or not it panned out in the long run, it doesn't really matter. Like, you – made it to that you know that top goal and you really uh you just set the standard for kids um and that's definitely like something that I looked up to and like I was like yeah I can do it now because he did it you know yeah sorry about that phone by the way you guys can hear that (laughs) we're at sports reality there's random noises but no I appreciate that a ton man like that's something that um I don't take for granted at all like knowing that people people can be inspired by my story again like it's just being thankful for what God has done through me. And yeah. that's the coolest part uh, about it all. Like, so I appreciate you saying that though. It means a lot. Yeah. Um, had to let you know, I don't, cause you're the humble guy. So I don't know if you really realize that, but <laughs> um, yeah, like you uh, being the head coach at Hanover and whatnot and, and um, leading those guys, I'm sure that's what they're thinking right now. And um, for those guys, like they need to understand, like they're in good hands. Cause you know, other coaches in the around in Virginia really um, can't say that they have a NFL head coach, um, yeah. a Virginia Tech uh, superstar, if you will, uh, <laughs> uh, leading their team. So, like, that's definitely an edge. But, yeah, I give you your props and um, we're going to end this thing here real soon. And uh, now nah, I, I thank you for coming on, though. Um, this is definitely a, a great talk and I feel like we got something accomplished with this. Um, so, yeah, no doubt, man, you're doing awesome things and. Always, always got love for you, man. So I appreciate you. Appreciate it. Um, I thank y'all guys for listening again. Um, don't have an outro or intro, it's whatever. But um, yeah, we're gonna end it right here. Thank you. Appreciate you guys.